We have a guest speaker today. Uh, his name is Reverend Dr. David Starling. And so he is the chief academic officer at Moreland College, uh, one of the nearby Bible colleges. He lectures in uh, several different topics, actually. So New Testament, hermeneutics, Greek, and theology. And so if you do have any interest in any of these topics or perhaps about Bible college or just about studying a little bit more about Christianity in general, um, he will stick around after the service so you can direct your questions to him. Uh, but before I invite him up to uh, preach the message today, how about I ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3, and he'll be preaching from verses 1 to 13. Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 13. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on screen behind me. And I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then, I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. I'm going to invite uh, Reverend Dr. David Starling uh, to the stage, if you'd like to give him a hand. Well, thanks, Pastor Young. It's uh, wonderful to be with you. A great uh, privilege and delight to join with you this morning and to share from the Word of God with you. As Pastor Young said, uh, I serve just down the road at Morling College in Macquarie Park, uh, next to the university there, and I've been serving there for a decade and a half or so. Before that, I was a, a pastor in, in Petersham in the inner west, and before that, I was a student at Moore College, and before that, I was an English teacher in Western Sydney, and so on. Um, but these days, uh, these days, my, my task, as uh, Pastor Young said, is to teach New Testament and hermeneutics and Greek and theology occasionally um, over there at Morling. Um, and also, as he said, I'd be delighted to speak with you after the service, um, either about questions that come up from the passage or about questions you have on one of those subjects, um, or particularly if you're thinking about the possibility of doing some uh, theological study uh, as preparation for the ministry that you feel God is leading you toward, or is equipping for the ministry that you're already doing as a, a home group leader, a youth leader, a Sunday school teacher, an occasional preacher, or so on. 
Um, uh, it does seem to me that the, the task that God has given us at Morling to do, to travel alongside the local church, equipping men and women for ministry, for the part-time ministry they do as volunteers or the full-time ministry as pastors and missionaries and so on that God may be calling them to, is a, a critically uh, important ministry. That's why I left uh, the work that I was doing before to be involved in it. Now, we live in a complicated world in challenging times. Uh, and in all times, the wisdom of God is a rich and beautiful and complicated wisdom. As in the passage that I'm preaching on this morning, actually, Paul talks about it as a multifaceted, manifold, rich and splendidly multi-layered wisdom. It takes a lifetime. In fact, it takes an eternity to master. And the task of being a servant of the word of God, uh, a servant of God's people, unfolding the scriptures, uh, teaching, discipling, um, leading within the youth group or the Sunday school or the church, that task is an incredible privilege, uh, a big job, uh, an awesome responsibility. We want to travel alongside you and alongside the local church in partnership, equipping you to do that ministry the very best you can. Uh, exploring that wisdom, uh, thinking at depth about um, all of the, the riches of Scripture and all of the complexity and beauty involved in applying the Scriptures in the lives of the believer and of the church. Uh, so if you think that's something which you would like to get some further equipping in, if you're feeling called toward that work and you want to be better equipped for it, then I'd love to talk with you. Um, uh, Pastor Young, I'm sure, would love to have or to continue that conversation with you about what the next steps uh, might be and the variety of ways in which you might uh, put your toe in the water of theological study and ministry equipping um, or even perhaps dive in and take the plunge in something uh, big as you, you uh, prepare for what God seems to be leading you into in the future. Uh, so I'll be around after the service. Uh, I gather you guys kind of mill around for a little bit in the foyer. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll stick around, um, I'm, I'll be the, the only kind of grey-haired face in the crowd, so it won't be hard to find, and uh, just come up, say hi, um, and uh, or one or two, two grey-hairs, I guess, will be in the crowd. But uh, grab me, and uh, I'm very happy to answer questions and talk about those kind of possibilities for ministry equipping and for further study. But let's turn our hearts now and our minds to the Word of God. Let's bow our heads before Him, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads together before you now and we ask you that now as always your spirit may be our teacher your word our rule and your glory in the Lord Jesus our supreme concern this we ask in Jesus name amen the text I want to focus on this morning in these next 20-30 uh, minutes or so uh, from the reading that we heard a moment ago is the book of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, one of those final verses in the reading, which focuses on the theme of the wisdom of God and his purpose for the church, for us, the gathered, covenanted community of his people. That's the plan. But before we get there, before we land in Ephesians, as we approach our text, I want to begin not in Ephesus in the first century, but in England, in Lincolnshire, in the 17th. I want to begin in a small upstairs room in a farmhouse in Woolsthorpe, Lincolnshire in the year 1666, where a young Isaac Newton 
had been forced to uh, return home for the year when the university where he was studying in Cambridge had been temporarily put into lockdown because of the bubonic plague. It was while he was there, during that plague year of 1666, that Newton began to experiment with a pair of little glass prisms that he had bought back in Cambridge at the Stourbridge Fair. He began to experiment with light and prisms, uh, darkening the window so that a tiny little shaft of light came in through a pinprick in the shade, then breaking up that light into a rainbow of colours through a prism that he passed it through, and then joining back the colours into a single beam of white light as they passed back through a second prism. In so doing, famously, he completely revolutionised the way in which we understood the nature and the workings of light. Uh, he also managed to figure out the law of universal gravitation that year, which goes to show you can get a fair bit done during lockdown if you put your mind to it. I started with that story of, if you're, if you're Isaac Newton, uh, I started with that story of the young man Newton um, there in a dark house, a darkened farmhouse in Lincolnshire, experimenting with little glass prisms and unlocking the secrets of the universe. I, I started with that story because it sticks in my imagination and my memory as a kind of analogy or metaphor for the picture that Paul is painting here in this first half of the third chapter of his letter to the Ephesians and particularly in the verse we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. Paul's writing as the first verse of chapter 3 reminds us, the opening verse of the reading we heard from a moment ago, Paul is writing as a prisoner confined under house arrest, probably, I think, in Rome, prevented by his incarceration from continuing on in the vast, ambitious mission travels that he had planned to undertake before he had been arrested in Jerusalem. His movements are constrained. For the last two years or so, his missionary journeys have been completely interrupted and thrown off course by a series of ongoing imprisonments under the, the power of, of Rome and its officers. His movements are constrained, but his vision is still clear. He sees with clarity the vision that God has given to him. And he writes to the Ephesians from his circumstances of house arrest in Rome, anticipating the anxiety they have they may have felt that could have been building up within the churches of Ephesus and the surrounding towns and cities as the news filtered through of Paul's arrest and as the radio silence continued and they wondered two years in what had happened to their apostle and what had happened to his plans and his mission. Paul anticipates the anxiety that they may well have felt and felt rising within them over the reports of his arrest and his ongoing imprisonment. And he writes to remind them of God's purposes for his church and for his gospel, God's purposes that remain and continue and go forward, irrespective of Paul's freedom or imprisonment, regardless of the interruptions to Paul's own plans, and regardless, too, of the smallness and apparent insignificance of the church. 
It's a message that speaks very powerfully, I think, into the circumstances of our own situation, of the 21st century Western church in a place like Sydney. And our time, two years into the extraordinary interruption and disorientation of the pandemic, and the feelings of smallness and marginality that we experience as Christians in our day, on the edge and not at the centre of our culture, dwarfed, it seems, by the much more powerful, seemingly, voices and institutions and lobby groups and movements within the culture. But it's also, of course, a message that speaks to the church in all times and all places. Paul writes, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you've heard about, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you, the mystery that was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly about above. By reading this, you're able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, partners together in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. We could dwell on any one of those phrases, couldn't we? And it'll be a whole sermon, but we hurry past them on the way to our text, verse 10. Continuing verse 8, this grace was given to me. Notice, by the way, just in passing how ministry for Paul is not a um, a meritorious task that he performs to win brownie points before God, but it's a gift, a grace, a privilege. Yep, it's a hard-working privilege, a costly privilege, but it's a privilege and a gift that he's been given. This gift of God's grace has been given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10, and this is our verse. Verse 10, this is so that, here's God's purpose in all this for us, this is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The wisdom that Paul speaks of here is a, is a theme that runs through the entirety of Ephesians, from chapter 1 to chapter 6. In the opening chapter of the letter, in Ephesians 1, Paul writes in verses 3 to 14 about the whole cascade of blessings that have overflowed from the heart of the grace and the electing purpose of God into the lives of believers. And he concludes, or rather he includes within that catalogue of those blessings, the wisdom and understanding, verse 8, that God has given to us. At the heart of that wisdom, Ephesians 1 verse 9, is the insight that God has given us into his purposes for the world. And he has made known to us, verse 9, the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to bring everything 
together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. And God has made that purpose known to us, um, whom he has included in Christ as the beginning of that bringing together of all things. When Paul talks in that verse, in chapter 1, verse 10, about God's plan as being to bring everything together in Christ, the language that he uses, the word he chooses to communicate that idea is language that he takes from ancient rhetorical theory and ancient literary criticism. Just as an orator in the Greek tradition ties together the threads of their oration in the closing minutes of the speech with a summary, an anakephaliosis, they would call it, at the climax and conclusion of the speech, where everything comes together and you see with crystal clarity what it was all about for the last 20 minutes. Here it is, the take-home message, the anakephaliosis. Just as an epic poet like Homer recapitulates the whole vast rambling story of his poem through a speech that he gives to the narrator or perhaps to one of the characters in the final stanzas of the poem. Like the speech that Odysseus makes to his wife Penelope at his homecoming in the last books of the Odyssey, in the final pages of the story, recounting in summary form to his wife upon his homecoming that whole long and winding tale of his journeys and his wanderings. And he pulls it all together in an anakephaliosis, the ancient commentators on the Odyssey said, in that last section of, of the poem. In similar fashion, God, the author and the playwright of the story of the universe, has planned it all in advance so that it is the story of Christ made known in and through the church that will one day turn out to have been the anakephaliosis, the climax and the resolution and the summary in which God has drawn together the threads of all things. That, Paul says, chapter 1, verse 10, is the mystery and the wisdom that God has made known to us, his people. That is the insight that it is the heart of the wisdom we have been given in Christ. We don't experience life and the world as a, a kind of giant, chaotic, meaningless, choose-your-own-adventure story or as a series of random, fortunate and unfortunate events. Nor do we blindly conform to and squeeze the experiences of life into the propaganda narratives of various kinds that are proclaimed to us by the advertisers advertisers and the movie makers and the politicians of our culture. Now we have a better story and a bigger story and a truer story that we live by. A better wisdom that has been made known to us. We have a story that is big enough to capture all of the grandeur and beauty and mystery of the creation. 
and all of the preciousness of human life, every single human life from the womb to the grave and into eternity. And all of the darkness and tragedy and folly and self-destructiveness and misery and sloth and failure and shame of sin. That's all in the story too. And all of our guilt and our self-recrimination and our longing for forgiveness and for mercy and for healing and reconciliation and absolution. All of those threads and themes converge in the life and death and resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus. And that is the story. That is the insight that is at the heart of the wisdom that we have been blessed with, granted in Christ as the church, as the story that we live by. Do you see? He has made known to us the mystery of his will as a plan for the fulfillment of fulfillment, the fullness of time, to bring together everything, tying it together in Christ. So Paul prays, chapter 1, verse 17, Paul prays that God, therefore, might open our eyes to see this and to see all things in light of this, that he might open our eyes by the work of his spirit, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that we might perceive that truth with ever-increasing scope and breadth and depth and clarity of vision. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. It is that reminder chapter 1, verse 8 to 10, about the wisdom of God that has been given to us in the tying everything together story of Jesus. It is that reminder, chapter 1, verse 8 to 10, and that prayer, chapter 1, verse 17, that prayer for insight into that mystery and eyes to see it in our hearts that stand as the background behind the prayer that Paul prays in chapter 3, verse 10. What he says in 3.10 about the purpose of God, I should say, the reminder there about God, the purpose of God for the church. But here in chapter 3, here in chapter 3, Paul goes one step further than he has previously gone in chapter 1. The church, according to the vision Paul sets out for the Ephesians here in chapter 3, the church is not only the community that has been given the wisdom of God, as he said in chapter 1, verse 10, the community of those whose eyes have been enlightened, chapter 1, verse 17, to see God's wisdom. The church is also, chapter 3, verse 10, the community through which God displays his wisdom, puts it on show, reveals it before the eyes of a, a watching world, and indeed before the eyes of the invisible principalities and powers to whom God is revealing, even in the church, among, through us, his triumph in Christ. The wisdom which the church is to make known, or rather the wisdom which God is making known through the church, is a manifold 
uh, are multifaceted, as it says in our translation this morning, a multifaceted wisdom. The word Paul uses here to describe it is a word he chooses that describes both beauty and variety. Uh, the playwright Euripides uses it to speak about an elaborately coloured garment. Picture it. Uh, the poet Eubulus uses it to speak about an ingeniously woven garland of flowers. Like the light reflecting through Newton's prism, it contains all the colours of the universe. This wisdom that God purposes to put on display in the church. Writing from the same imprisonment uh, to the church in Colossae, Paul talks about all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that God has stored up and hidden in Christ. Do you see, in the apparent simplicity of the gospel story, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. In the apparent simplicity of the gospel story, you ask Paul, what do you, what's your message? What do you speak about? What do you proclaim? Paul can give you the summary in Colossians 1.28 in one word. Him. We proclaim him. Or he can unpack and unpack and unpack that single word, him, Christ, into teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom that we may make everyone complete and perfect and perfected in Christ and mature in him. What does Paul teach? Does he teach about all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Yep. Does he speak with a relentless singular focus on one person, Christ? Yes. Because the, the former is wrapped up inside the latter. In the apparent simplicity of the gospel story, like a single shaft of light, there is an infinite endless treasure of wisdom and God's purpose for the church is to let that infinite multifaceted manifold beautiful wisdom of God be seen the church in other words is more like a prism than a painting more like a prism than a painting what's important about the church is not its own intrinsic grandeur or beauty What's important is the light that shines through it. Do you see? The light of the gospel and all the varied and beautiful ways that that gospel light refracts as it passes through the lives of God's people. With all of their different gifts, with all of their different temperaments, with all of their different backgrounds and circumstances and cultures and language and stories, as the single same pure light of the gospel refracts through the church it breaks out into a display a beautiful display of the multifaceted manifold wisdom of God what that looks like therefore is not really something that is dependent on the church's size or wealth or social prestige a prism can be a small and very unimpressive thing in itself the magic is in the light, not the glass. Sometimes I think we forget that. 16 centuries or so of Christendom context in 
the Western European church in particular, taught us to forget that reality. For 16 centuries or so, the church occupied a place at the center of Western European culture. For 16 centuries, we in the West, in Europe, were a church of basilicas and cathedrals and stained glass and organ music. And there, of course, is something undeniably majestic and beautiful about all of that tradition. But that's not really the vision that Paul is speaking about and asking us to imagine here in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul is writing long before the age of stained glass and stone arches and cathedral choirs. That is not the kind of display that Paul has in mind here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. The display Paul has in mind as the vision that God has purposed to put on show in the church is not at its heart a display of privilege and power, of human eloquence, of social standing. It's a display of the wisdom of God made visible and shown to be beautiful and true through its outworkings in the mundane, ordinary spectacle of the seven days a week, 24 hours a day community life of the people of God. You know that, that new life that was the whole theme of Wintercon. Yep, the Romans 8, 1 to 17, new life displayed not just in the walk of the individual believer, but in the collective existence and the day-by-day relationships and household and family life and the working, a day-by-day life of a community of redeemed people. That is what God purposes to put on display in the church. So chapter 5, verse 8, for you were once darkness, Paul reminds the Ephesian believers, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk then as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Christ shines his light on you, the church, in order that that light might reflect and refract out. Do you see? Everything that is in the light becomes itself visible and luminous, reflecting and refracting the light of God as it shines onto it and through it. Pay careful attention then, verse 15 of chapter 5, to how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of the time, redeeming the time as the old translation used to say because the days are evil don't be foolish but understand what the lord's will is and don't get drunk with wine which leads to reckless living but be filled with the spirit that's not talking there about a one-off individual experience he's talking about an ongoing communal experience it's what paul says in the parallel letter in colossians chapter 3 verse 16 as the experience of a community in which the word of christ dwells and makes its home richly and it's an experience that is manifested and enacted as Paul unpacks it in the following phrases by these kinds of practices speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making music with your heart to the Lord 
Always and in everything giving thanks to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, and so on and so on, in all the various relationships of daily life through the paragraphs that follow. Do you get the picture? It's a picture of a glad and grateful community, a grace-soaked, grace-transformed, gratitude-infused community shaped by and inhabited by the word of Christ understanding the times that they live in, singing and speaking the word of God to one another, reminding one another daily of the story that sums up all things in Christ and living out it, learning to live out its implications in the way that it shapes their lives and relationships. Relationship by relationship, context by context, situation by situation, in every slice and facet of their existence. That's the picture that Paul wants us to have in mind of God's purpose for the church as it comes to fulfilment. His manifold, multifaceted wisdom in the light of the gospel, refracted through the church in all its diversity, in the beauty that God puts on display through it, in the ordinary, mundane stuff of everyday life. A church like that, a church like that, is inescapably public. Not because it thinks it runs, it runs society, not because it's in a building with a big spire in the main street of town, but because light can't help but shine out in the midst of darkness. Not the light of its own perfection, but the ref- reflected and refracted light of Christ. And a church like that is unavoidably evangelistic. Not because it turns every Sunday service into a gospel rally and every activity into a strategic outreach exercise, though I take it it has some of that and some of that as well, but because its life and its speech are pervaded with the light of the gospel. You turn up into any facet or slice or moment of its life as a community of God's people. You slice it anywhere and it bleeds gospel. That little bit of glass has the light of the gospel passing right through it all the time. And everything in some one way or another is being shaped and transformed by the presence of the word of Christ. A church like that is inescapably public and unavoidably evangelistic. It participates in just as it, it is a product of the mission of God in the gospel. The vision that Paul describes in these verses is not one, however, that requires a vast or powerful or privileged church. The wisdom of God is infinite. Vast, unbounded, manifold, multifaceted, limitless, like the light of the sun radiating radiating out into the universe. The church is finite. Like one of Newton's little prisms. Our task is not to make ourselves great. To establish the empire of Saisun Church. Our task is not to project a wisdom, a cleverness, a sophistication of our own. 
Our task is to catch the light of the gospel. To keep orienting ourselves toward it. To keep holding the prism of the church within the beam of the light of the gospel. Day by day, Sunday by Sunday, season by season, year by year. To hold the prism of the church square within the beam of the light of the gospel. Through the preaching of the word, through the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, through the daily disciplines of time in the word, of prayer, of reading the scriptures, of encouraging one another, to keep orienting ourselves toward the light of the gospel and to let that light shine onto us and through us into the world. That, according to Paul here in Ephesians, that is the primary purpose of God for the church. And that in his grace and his goodness, God has given us the joyful privilege, the serious, costly, life-consuming, life-transforming, joyful privilege of being a part of and being a part of together as the church. We are a community created by God for the display not of our wisdom, but of his. Not of our power and glory, but his power and glory in the Lord Jesus. For the visible, public, lived, collective, communal demonstration of what it looks like to have learned the gospel and to live in the light of Christ. My prayer is that God may be at work day by day, Sunday by Sunday, season by season in the life of this community here at Saison. As you serve him together week by week in all of the various ministries and activities and relationships of this church family so that he might enable you to live in fulfillment of that vision. Will you pray with me? Father, we want to be a church, we want to be a people that lives in the beam of the light of the gospel. We want to be a prism that refracts that light in all its clarity and truth and power out into the thousand different colours into which you refract it as it passes through the life of the church. We want to be a church that displays better and better, more brightly with every day, more clearly and more beautifully the transforming power and truth of the gospel. We want to be a church that people look at and see not us alone, but Christ in us. I pray for those who lead and teach within this church that they might keep the prism of the church suspended in the beam of the light of the gospel every Sunday, every week, every season, every year. And I pray for the members of this church that all of your people might be involved by your power and the wisdom of your spirit in speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, teaching and admonishing one another with the beauty and the truth and the power of the word of Christ, serving and submitting to one another and living in love together in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I want to pray that you'd be raising up within this church servants of the gospel who would be laying down their lives making costly decisions of discipleship and mission 
stepping into your plans and purposes for the growth of the gospel in the world. Understanding your truth ever more deeply and living it out ever more faithfully, learning Christ and learning to walk in His ways. I lift up this church before you now in prayer and pray that you would be powerfully at work by your Spirit, by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus in this people. And in His name, the Lord, the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.